Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate you and your support so much. We have some business up top, I guess. Business exciting news. That sounds better. Exciting news. Uh, We're actually going to be at Clexicon, which is in Las Vegas. It's the largest multi-fandom event for LGBTQ women and allies. Uh, It's celebrating LGBTQ women and characters in TV, film, web series, comics, books, and more. And we're the end more part. We're going to have a table there. We're going to be exhibitors. We're going to have some merch, which also brings me to our second bit of news. We're going to have merch. I'll keep you all updated on that. Check our social media out for that. And then finally, the most exciting news that we have is we have a contest for y'all. If you've heard episode 26, Tina Cacadellis, young adult lesbian fiction author, we interviewed her. We talked to her. I read her books. I was excited for it. If you haven't checked that one out, definitely go back and check it out. But she has finally finished the third book of the Carly Allen trilogy. She is putting the cherry on top of the whipped cream, on top of the ice cream, and everything that's delicious and delightful and amazing. And I'm so excited to read that one because the other two were amazing. And what Tina has done for us is we're doing a giveaway where she's giving away two full sets of the trilogy. So what we're going to do is we're going to have some posts on all of our social media and you just have to go on, find us and like the post. And that enters you in the contest. Now the contest is going to run until our next episode comes out in two weeks. So we'll announce the winner on the next episode and just look for our social media posts. You can find us on Twitter at Queer to My Heart, Instagram and Facebook near and Queer to My Heart. And if you're old school, email us. We'll count that as a submission, nearandqueertomyheart at gmail.com. Now to the episode. This one was really exciting for me because this performer, Jess Abercrombie, she performs under Hail Satana. She was about to leave town. She is taking a trip around the fucking globe, and we were lucky enough to be able to sit down with her before she took that journey and left on that journey. And now she's currently on that journey, so I don't know where in the world Jess is. I don't know where in the world she'll be listening to the podcast, but I enjoyed this conversation and i think you will too good luck jess on your travels looking forward to seeing you again but now we can hear her story so let's welcome jess abercrombie hail satan what name do you want me to call you in this podcast you just do my regular full name which is jess abercrombie okay is that your real name yeah okay yeah. i never knew that i was like that's gotta be a facebook name <laughs> nope uh, all right I'm, i have no reason to want to have that name <laughs> i didn't know that was a real last name you know a lot of people they're like well in my real life i can't show what i do you know with yeah. performance wise so that's i really thought jess abercrombie was that like an alias of some sort <laughs> But then I also was like, if you were to choose an alias, like just knowing you, I didn't think Abercrombie would be. Yeah, I feel like my name when my parents 
decided on it does not remotely fit me at all. (laughs) (laughs) And who's fit, you know? Exactly. Tell me. I'm still looking. <laughs> I was like, all right, is your family of the Abercrombie and Fitch family? That is like the most asked question. I bet I've it got. is. Yeah. <laughs> In Louisiana, there's a bus company named Hotard. I don't know if you've seen the buses with the word Hotard on them. My yes. friend's, uh, her last name's Hotard. And our other friend was like, are you of the bus Hotards? <laughs> she was like, what the fuck kind of question is that? And then she's like, but are you? And she was like, no. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I know Jess through... A bunch of different performance, mostly uh, drag performance. Jess has been on Greetings from Queer Mountain, the storytelling show now twice, which has been awesome. And I'm really excited to sit down and, and talk with you. I know you're about to take a big trip. I am. Where are you going? Why now? How are you able to do it? Well, first of all, I feel like as a Sagittarius, I've always been very like detached and wanting to travel and explore. And I recently about six months ago i started working for a company full-time remote and it just kind of dawned on me like hey you like to travel you haven't been out of the country in a few years and that's not in your character and you don't have any attachments work-wise where you have to be in a specific location so i decided why not take advantage of it while i have the opportunity and i'm gonna be leaving actually five days from now from New Orleans. I'm heading back to see my family in Virginia, but then I'm taking off and going to India starting in March and kind of having an open-ended Asia exploration adventure, heading east from India as I see fit. Yeah, and working as I go. So you don't have it planned out? Not really. That's all. You're just going to wake up and be like, I feel like Thailand today. And that's where you're going to go. Pretty much. There's a couple of countries I think that might have a little bit more like visa requirements that I would have to plan ahead for. But (laughs) in all fairness. Yeah. (laughs) But most of them have 30 to 90 day periods where you can go without a visa. A lot of the countries that I looked at. So those are the ones I'm going to focus on probably. That's so awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Are you going to miss New Orleans, though? I definitely am. I think when I first came up with this idea, it was a little bit easier in my head. I was a little less attached here. But I've definitely built up a really wonderful community that I love and adore. And I'll definitely miss everybody. But I'll be back. It's not like I'm never going to return. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's it. You're just gone forever. <laughs> I just, I feel like everyone that, everyone I know that's left New Orleans, all they talk about is wanting to come back. And I know a few people, like I just ran into an old intern I used to have and I hadn't seen him in years. And he was like, I couldn't stay away. I had to get back. He was in school and he went and did his thing. And then he was like, as soon as I was able to, I came back. I couldn't, there's nothing like it. And I was like, yeah, you can't beat it. That's true. I've definitely lived in quite a few different places. And this is the only one so far that I've been in that I've been like oh I could see myself eventually building like a home here so you're a drag name you're a do you call yourself a drag king is that do you have are you just performer how do you typically for a long time it had been a drag king but as of late one I'm taking a break obviously with travel but I had been kind of taking a break for the past few months because i kind of burnt myself out a little bit with the drag scene and I needed some time to get some creative juices flowing but now when I look at what I will do when I come back and 
the last few numbers and things that I put together, I would just say like a drag artist or a drag performer. I like to keep it kind of fluid. I definitely tend to be on the more masculine presenting look-wise, but I've dabbled in a couple numbers recently that just kind of playing with the entire concept of gender and not just focusing on being a drag king who is hyper-masculine and I don't really have any desire to make my character fit into that kind of stereotype. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. That's why I asked because I've heard people refer to you as drag king, but then I was like, I don't actually know if that's, you know, how you see yourself. Right. I think it's, it's definitely been an evolution. When I first started doing drag, I had a very limited view of what I could do with it. So I didn't even, one, I didn't know what I was doing. And <laughs> two, I just was like, I'm going to dress up like a quote unquote guy, which is me with just like a little bit of facial hair and lip sync to just some male vocal song. And now I definitely see it more as an art. And while I haven't really focused a lot of my energy into like the makeup and physical, like artistic, visually visually artistic aspects of it uh performance wise i've tried to make what i'm doing a lot more conceptual than i used to and how did you get started doing drag like what made you say this is a thing i'd like to try i started the first time i ever did drag was i think about five years ago i was in cincinnati for grad school and every semester they did a charity drag show at the university for trans ohio and a friend of mine she did her first show there and she loved it and she was like i think you'd really enjoy this i feel like you should try it out next time so i was like what the hell i'll give it a shot and i went up there and had no idea what i was doing but i had a blast and the crowd was there was just so much energy in that crowd and i just loved it and i did three shows through that and even prior to doing drag I'd been a musician and done different kinds of performance so latching on to that it was exciting to be on the stage again and I tried to grab every opportunity that I could following that with drag but it's definitely more of a challenge when you're not a traditional drag queen what's the challenge you know is it just harder to get gigs is it the audience is not as accepting depending on where you are i think it it's all of those things a lot of people have this idea that being a drag performer is being a cis male in a look that is hyper feminine and focused on being sexy and the thing i love about being here and performing in new orleans is that that is not exclusively what you see on stage and that we're very accepting of all kinds of drag. I've found that I've plenty of times been in shows where I'm the only king and the energy level in the room is different when you get on stage and you're in this show that's full of really beautiful queens who are doing the splits and lip syncing to some of the audience's like favorite pop songs and stuff and you get up on stage and people seem very disinterested. It's kind of discouraging. But being here in New Orleans, I feel like there's a lot of room for growth within the drag community in general. And especially anybody that's interested in being a king or a non-binary performer, I think there are a lot of opportunities to do a lot of really cool things here. 
I know a little bit about drag and burlesque and other communities, but I mostly know New Orleans. And I feel like New Orleans is so open to even, you know, uh, females uh, doing uh, drag queens or hyper femme or anything like that. Uh, Males doing like any like where like anything goes. We're like kind of uh, very open to gender fluid to, you know, any sort of type of performance. And have you seen that in other scenes or you're saying like other scenes are just not as open? In the places that I have been, I have not seen as much of a variety in performances. I know that in bigger cities, there are usually different scenes within the city like there are here. Like, But from coming from a like smaller town in the Midwest and then going to Hawaii, which is where I was living before here, the concepts that people have in their head about drag are limited to kind of like what you see in the media. So by latching onto things like RuPaul's Drag Race, which is great and a great catalyst for a lot of queens. And I've seen some interesting things coming out of there too. It's still very cis male centered and very like polished. And while that's a polish, being polished is a good thing. You can be the opposite of that and still be a fantastic performer. So that's one of the things that I like about being here in New Orleans is that there's a little niche area for everyone and there's going to be some sort of audience that's supportive of your work so your performance name is hail satana 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 yeah my bad hail (laughs) satana Uh, how did you get that name did you have other names before that how was that the one that you landed on i definitely had other names before that i've only been performing with that name for a little over a year my drag mom who I feel like a lot of people in the community think of their drag mom being the person that got them into drag. But for me, it was more of like an adopted mother situation where I'd already been performing a little bit. But when I moved to Hawaii, I started performing at this club that I bartended at. And in Hawaii, like I was saying, there's a lot of focus on the pageanty and just very fishy queens and this one dimensional idea like the queens would come up, they'd have the same number that they did last weekend. And it was great, but there wasn't a lot of variety. And then I met my drag mom. Her name's Lilith Satana. And she was wonderful and weird and out there. And I was like, I know I'm going to love you. Like we clicked instantly. And Lilith is amazing. And Anybody that's interested in drag should definitely check her out. She kind of took me under her wing and was guiding me and giving me feedback and advice on my drag a lot. And I was under the name at that point, Jay Chillin. Jay Chillin. Which is very (laughs) different. And I was feeling very boxed in by the idea of the, the few ideas of what I've seen before with drag kings and... With Lilith, we would bounce ideas off of each other, and I started coming up with some more conceptual stuff. So once I moved here, I was performing as Jay for like a little little while, and then I kind of ran into some people in the Marini Bywater Drag Workshop community that brought me under, in under their wing, and right around that time was when I had decided that I was going to change my drag name, and because Lilith and I both like to kind of come up with some weird fucked up concepts. I was like, I want to do a play on the name and take the family name. And I thought that 
Hail Satana would be funny, but also indicative of like the darker or weirder side of you that you don't show on a daily basis. And that's kind of what I try to make my persona based off of. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's cool. Are there other folks in the same house? Is it like a last name that other performers are using or it's just you and Lilith? It's just me and Lilith. She has another drag daughter, but not under the same name and she's in she doesn't perform very much but she's up in new york now um but other than that yeah it's just us and we have a lot of we have our like wide family back in hawaii that i still try to connect with a little bit here and there and i'm i miss them and i'm always trying to convince them to come out here and take a gig because i think they would enjoy the scene down here so how old were you when you moved to hawaii i was 20 25. And you were like, hey, I'm moving to Hawaii. Was Did you know anyone there? Or were you like, I just, Hawaii is a place that who wouldn't want to live there? I just finished grad school, actually. And I was disillusioned with all of my studies at that point. What were you studying? I was studying urban planning, which it can be very interesting. New Orleans needs that. <laughs> that, that is very true, undoubtedly. But I was burnt out with school and having trouble finding a job that I was interested in. And I just came across some positions in AmeriCorps. And I was like, oh, I could take some time and do a year of service. And I came across one that was in Hawaii. And I thought, why the hell would I not want to apply to that? Yeah. You know. And I ended up getting it. And they had me come out very shortly after that. So that's the reason why I moved out there in the beginning. But I... Had a couple of family friends that lived on Oahu, close to Honolulu, where I was living. But other than that, I really didn't know anybody. I went to Hawaii once. It was after my first semester of law school. And my grandpa was dating this lady who was like super, super rich. And she was like, I want to take your grandpa and you and your mom to Hawaii. And I was like, absolutely. The the thing for me, though, was after the first semester of law school. So I understand the burnout thing because I had just been through the most stressful experience ever. And I feel like I didn't appreciate Hawaii. Like I just sat by the pool and drank and slept. And that's all like I could functionally do. I remember I had a John Grisham book and it was like too complicated for me to read. I was like, I can't. <laughs> my brain can't handle this. But I'd like to and love to do Hawaii over again sometime. It was so beautiful. It must have been nice to just live there and wake up and everything around you is fucking beautiful. Yeah, I feel like. The most common question I get that I got once I moved here was, why would you ever leave Hawaii? Um, <laughs> Fair question. <laughs> but it's absolutely gorgeous and there's a lot to enjoy. But during the time that I was working for AmeriCorps, you know, you get that volunteer stipend, but it's really not a livable wage. The cost of living in Hawaii is so high. And I was, I had my volunteer stipend and was working in the office for a nonprofit for 40 hours a week. And then I would bartend two nights on the weekend at the club that I performed at. And I was making the same amount of money in those two nights at the club as I was on my stipend every week. So as beautiful as Hawaii was, I was working so much yeah. for at least most of the time I was there that I feel like I could have enjoyed a lot more of it than I did. But the last few months that I was living in Hawaii, I actually went over to Kauai and I was bartending there at a restaurant a brand new restaurant and I would work like four hours a day four or five days a week and the rest of the time I could actually enjoy the island and Kauai is like the 
garden island so it was absolutely gorgeous and i'm glad i had those few months to do that but i would definitely love to go back and see some more of the things that i really didn't get to fully experience yeah so you went right from hawaii you went to new orleans or were there stops on the way i went back to see my family in virginia for like a month and i was pretty sure i was gonna end up coming down to new orleans but i hadn't officially found a place or anything yet so i i also hadn't seen my family in a while since i'd been in hawaii so i spent some time with them and then i came straight here afterwards surprise everyone like the minute you go to hawaii i feel like all of a sudden everyone you've ever met is your best friend and they're like hey you have a place in hawaii remember that time in third grade that we went to the birthday party together of somebody i can't remember <laughs> so what, what you're in hawaii huh i feel like i actually have seen more random people from my life since i've lived here than when i was in hawaii because yeah people would reach out but they also were like I would love to come see you in Hawaii, but I can't afford to. Whereas here, I think I've seen like five or six people that I went to high school with that I hadn't talked to since in like 10 years since I've lived here that not necessarily asked to come stay with me, but like happened to be coming through and were like, hey, you should show me around or things like that. So I feel like this city is also a destination that people want to come to and it's definitely a more affordable option you know or have to come to because their friends getting married and this is a bachelor <laughs> bachelorette destiny i've I had a, a few people from high school one person from college that were like hey i'm here for my friend's bachelorette so if you want to meet up with us and i was like absolutely not right <laughs> i don't know that friend and i don't want to be any part of one of those things especially with people i don't know yeah exactly no thank you but i think they wanted to be the cool person that's like i know someone in new orleans and it's they're a local and they'll show us local shit and i was like i don't know you like that no i wouldn't know your last name if we weren't facebook friends <laughs> so you said you grew up in the midwest i'm trying to get like your whole timeline down because i'm just like you're it seems like because you're saying virginia but then you said midwest earlier and then hawaii cincinnati new orleans right uh midwest, now the world <laughs> yeah midwest i was included i was talking about cincinnati so i was there for grad school but i grew up since I was like seven until I went to grad school, I lived in Virginia. Are you from like a religious background or a small town or a big town or? Not at all religious. Where I'm from, I always like to say it's a city by population because it's, there's a lot of people that live in that area, but it's not what you would think of when you think of a city because there's not really an urban environment. It's just a lot of like housing developments and strip mall type things so it's definitely more of like a suburbia feel um it's a big military town so that's kind of what makes it so populated i think so military conservative not religious <laughs> not conservative the town itself is a pretty mixed bag i went to a high school that was an arts school so it was very of all the of the whole area it was the most like open-minded and with my family they've they're not super conservative uh we don't really get into like politics or anything like that but like religion neither of them grew up in super religious households and they never talked about religion or politics with me until i was like an adult so they left the door open for me to kind of figure out 
what I believed in and what I supported. So it was nice in that regard. When, I don't know, I, I've asked this question on other episodes and I'm, I ask it in like this very convoluted way, but <laughs> it's the coming out question. I'll right. just uh, phrase it like that. It's like, when did you, you know, first come out to yourself? And then when did you start coming out to your friends and family? And then when did you start coming out in public or in performance or just to everybody? I feel like I've always kind of known that I was queer in some way. My first ever, even like little kid kiss, when I was like five years old, my neighbor, Nikki, we used to like to play Power Rangers. And in our rendition of the Power Rangers, the Blue Ranger and the Pink Ranger really liked each other. So we would just like use it as an excuse to kiss each other. So I was like, started out kissing girls when I was five, you know. It wasn't until I was 16 that I like really was like, okay, I'm definitely not interested in dating these guys at my school. And I met my first girlfriend through a, uh, a mutual friend of ours, and she went to a Catholic school and I was in public school. And my best friends before that were in a family who had a very like fundamental Christian background. And there were rumors going around school that I was dating a girl or that I was interested in women. And they, my best friends were like, we're not going to talk to you anymore. And I guess they probably said something to their mom who then proceeded to repeatedly call my mom and tell my mom that she needed to know something. And my mom was like, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to tell me and it's none of your goddamn business. (laughs) That's right, mom. (laughs) That's awesome. But my mom still like, it took her time to fully understand and just because you know she didn't expect that even though she kind of did because she was like there were a lot of signs from when you were little (laughs) but um that's what my parents said they're like well now that we look back and review things a lot of things make sense and i was just like yeah no me too i'm on that same page when i review things i'm like oh that does make sense right and my my parents were split up so my Mom had called my dad to talk to him about it. And apparently he was just like, well, at least you can't get pregnant. <laughs> so him and like, they've both been pretty open. Um, it I've definitely had some rough times with my mom back and forth. More and more so just like her being like, you make stupid decisions when you're in a relationship. Not necessarily the fact that it's the gender of who I'm dating. My dad's never really cared that much. So... It was definitely an easier route than I th- know a lot of other people have had. And I'm very grateful for that. That's crazy, though. Like at the high school, like how does this rumor, you know, even start? And then how did everyone else react to it? Because I know, th- you know, a similar thing happened with another girl at my school. And I just remember like just knowing like this was the lesbian of the school. I didn't even really understand what that meant. I was too young for that. But I knew like, hey, I don't want to be the one that's like singled out. But I also had no idea how anyone decided this. If, you know, it, and, you know, if it was it was true in her case, but it might not have been. It might have just been a thing that, you know, kids just threw out there. Yeah. In my school, there were quite a few people that were out and open about it. More so guys than women or girls or non-binary individuals. But up until that point, I'd been very into to sports and I played field hockey. And the girls on the team were very were the only like weird ones about it when they found out 
they would do the weird thing where they were like kind of, you could tell they didn't want to change near me and stuff and i'm like don't okay, flatter yourself yeah. i'm not looking at you i hate that um <laughs> but thankfully i was also really involved in music and performance in school and a lot of my friends that i had made through that were part of the queer community or allies and thankfully outside of those couple friends that kind of gave me a hard time at first uh which fun fact i ended up dating one of them later (laughs) um it all comes together (laughs) everybody else was pretty open and supportive because a lot of people were going through their own journey as well you know yeah I think it's interesting, though, sometimes the most outspoken folks are the ones that it's like it's because of whatever's going on inside of them that they're trying to project onto you. How do you end up dating? How does that happen? Because I would have been like, I thought you were my friend. And then this happened. And then you not only ratted me out to your mom, you also probably weren't a good friend to me at that time. Yeah, I don't even really know how that happened. (laughs) I know that my friends didn't talk to me for like six months or something. And then we started hanging out again and somehow we ended up dating and unfortunately for her, her situation was a lot more rocky yeah. and she ended up living with me and my mom for a few months because her family was not accepting. But eventually they we broke up and then they also like worked through their issues. So I have no idea what's going on in her <laughs> life at this point, but you know, I hope that it's all the best yeah. that it can be you know well at least she, you know she had the strength to come out and to because a lot of people when that happens unfortunately they go back in the closet or like even my first girlfriend we dated for four years and we lived together for about two of those years and her family lived 20 minutes from us and i never met them right and they never knew i existed and it was funny too because she used to go on sundays to her mom's they were jehovah's witnesses <laughs> and she'd go and take laundry to her mom's and her mom would do my laundry essentially <laughs> and had no idea because we were like the same size at the time and i was like well fuck like <laughs> if this is going to happen at the very least i'm going to get laundry done out of it but at the end of it after three and a half years i was like i can't like you're putting me back in the closet and i can't do this and yeah. Well, was one of the reasons we broke up for other reasons, but that was one of the reasons. And then after that, she was like, I don't want this to happen again in the future. And she did come out. Right. And it took her family some time, but because she stuck with it, like, you know, she's out to them now and, and it's great. And, but it's hard. It's a different, and I had to understand too that it's like we had our own journeys. Like my journey, I'd come out, I'd already gone through everything, and then her journey was still happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody's is definitely different. And we're fortunate when we have that support system of friends and family that are much more understanding about it. Yeah, and definitely recognizing that. So that was high school, graduated high school, immediately went to college, took some time off. I started college immediately and then dropped out in my first semester. I was still in Virginia. I was living kind of, I was going to school, it was like right outside of DC, and I was very unsure what I wanted to do and study and also in kind of an unhealthy relationship and fighting with my mom all the time because I was in that unhealthy relationship and I was dealing with a lot emotionally and ended up dropping out and moved back home and went to community college for a few years and then went back to school back to like university when i was like 21 and then was that still in virginia or i was still in virginia until i was 23 24 and then i left and went to cincinnati for grad school right after that i always think it's interesting where people choose 
to go and when they choose to leave and, and not leave. Because for me, I couldn't wait. Even when I was 12, I was like, I want to get out of here. I want to get out. I want to move. I want to move. And then I hit 18. I was gone. And I haven't moved back since. But it's different because I came from a suburb of Los Angeles that was very conservative, very mm-hmm. Mormon, actually. And I wasn't out in high school. But I always I think I always felt that pressure. Mm-hmm. That's why I always ask like people's backgrounds. And sometimes it's the, just their family specifically that kind of has a pressure or makes them feel not ready to, to be out. But sometimes it's like the community And it's Mm -hmm. not always like an outward, like no one ever told me to my face, like gay people are going to go to hell. It's just something you kind of pick up on. Right. I mean, I definitely could feel that in some regard in where I was living in Virginia. But thankfully, the part of my environment and community that was closer, closest to me was more supportive than not. Yeah, I feel like I was lucky in that sense, but it definitely still feels weird to go back. Absolutely. And I know now, and we won't get into too much into your personal life now, but I just, I do want to ask this question because I always think it's interesting, but I know you are now uh, dating another performer. Yes. How is it dating another performer? How is, is that different from dating someone who's not a performer? Is it better, worse? Is there this extra piece or does it not matter at all? I think... Hmm. That's a really good question, actually. It's a lot of questions. Yeah. I like to um, have these multi-layered questions that, because I think I'm so worried that like if I ask one question that you might have to like really think about this one answer that I'm like, I'm gonna ask you 15 things and hopefully one of those attaches to you. <laughs> no. Yeah. I have been dating another performer for a little while now and I really like it. I think that we are able to understand the importance of performance and art in each other's lives and it's really great to know that you always have somebody that wants to come to your shows <laughs> and is gonna support you and vice versa it's just really beautiful my partner has been performing a lot more than i have lately and performing is a bigger part of my partner's life than it is of mine so just getting to see them rehearse and see them get ready for the gig and go to the gig and get out of drag and all that stuff it's it's pretty wonderful to like be a part of that and know that you get to be with that person in drag and out of drag and that you're seeing a different side of that person when they're on stage and I used to host my own show and my partner would come to every single one and support me and you guys would come <laughs> to every single one yeah, and support with your partner and <laughs> yeah and it it's just a really nice thing to bond over it's not something i've ever really had experience with before and i enjoy it and i think it's important in those kinds of situations to find a good balance of when to talk about performing and drag and when to talk about other things in life and not overdo it on one thing and only connect for that one thing and I think that we have a pretty good balance around that yeah I think because I'm also you know dating a performer and I think it's great I've seen couples where it's been really bad but what I think is great is that this other person understands that you have this thing that is not just a hobby like it's something you you know have a calling to do essentially and are you know really trying to do and that that person isn't thinking that you're putting yourself first or your performance first over them because they understand because they have that same drive and not everyone that I've dated has had that. (laughs) Exactly. And especially because my partner's performance is a big part of their 
career it's important to remember that this is their work and it's not like they're choosing to do this instead of focusing on you and I wouldn't want that anyways I'd want them to be pursuing the thing that they love just like they're supportive and respectful of the fact that I want to travel and work and that I do these other independent endeavors as well so yeah, because that's really cool for you. I mean, you're leaving town and traveling for, I don't know, months, right? Yeah, at least a couple months. Yeah, and some other partners might not be supportive of that or might take it personally, where other people understand, hey, this is a thing that you need to do in this moment, and it doesn't lessen how you feel or anything like that. So I think that's fantastic. Exactly. I think it's a rare and wonderful situation that I'm able to have somebody that supports me through that and still wants to be with me through that you know i, th- I think it's wonderful i'm gonna ask this question and i asked ben santos this in all fairness do you think there's too much drag in new orleans i don't think that there's too much drag necessarily i think that huh that's now i'm like thinking <laughs> about my answer for that i think that there is a lot going on and every time i turn around there's a new show that's popping up or a new venue that wants to have drag and I think it's a great thing I also think in a way that there's some cons to it in the sense that you're having so much competition all the time but competition can be a good thing because it can make people work harder at what they're doing and make it better but I think that you don't want to divide your audience too much you know I do think that something that could be improved upon and I would love to see more of is women and non-binary individuals being highlighted in the community. I think that we're having more opportunities now and we're seeing a little bit more and definitely seeing more here than I've seen in some other locations, but I feel like there's still work that needs to be done to make it a more even playing field for us as well and how do you think that looks i mean do you think that is actually possible that's a great question (laughs) i think that's one of the reasons why i've been taking a break and needing to think about my the amount of time and energy that i'm putting into drag i think there are definitely opportunities but it's a matter of like everybody coming together and working together to make us noticed more i guess i know that squirt reynolds has a show coming up that is all performers that are non-cis male boys want to be her yeah the boys want to be her show which i'm really sad i'm leaving beforehand or else i would love to be a part of it but i think we need more shows like that yeah and that one's been getting what i like about that is they decided to do that show actually uh Jessa, my girlfriend's on that show. So I think I'm working to her. I don't know. I told them, I'm like, I'm going to be there early. So might as well get involved in that because I think it's great. But the minute they announced that show, there was so much hype behind it. Absolutely. And I've heard so many different queens and just bartenders at Always and everyone just talking about it that they're like, oh my God, have you heard of this show? And I think that's what's going to change it. Because I was going to say what I think really will change it. And like you ran a weekly show at Siberia every Wednesday. Yes. You running that show that's a step in the right direction as far as you know opening this up because part of it is it's who's producing shows it's who's um what bars are putting on shows and we see that with with stand-up comedy when i first started doing comedy there was one female run show and it was a mic it was an open mic that anybody could sign up and that was a big deal at the at the time and now you know almost five years later women are hosting and producing their own shows and that's getting more women out there and that's what's really you know changing the game 
Yeah, for sure. I think that getting people from the other parts of the community, like female performers, non-binary performers, to be involved in production and leading these kinds of things is really important. When I come back, you know, I'd love to jump back into doing some producing at some point. Maybe not a weekly thing. <laughs> Weekly's that- <laughs> a lot. I don't know how you did that, to be honest. I don't know how I did either. I was, I felt like I had like three jobs going on at the same time. Because I host two monthly shows and that is so hard for me. And you were doing a weekly show that you had a theme, you had to do all the music for, you had, you know, to make sure to do all the promote. Like it just seemed like so much work every single week. It was a lot of work for sure and not something I would want to commit that much time to again. I would rather do a monthly production that I have more time to improve the quality and just more time for promoting in order to get a bigger crowd in there. But yeah, I think they were great shows and I, but I was just like, how is Jess doing this? Right. It's just it just seems like so much. Have you done any other type of... I know you did our Queer Mountain show, which is a queer storytelling show. So you've done that twice. Had you done any other storytelling or stand-up or poetry or any... I know you did music, you said, but have you done any other type of perf- like spoken word kind of performance or was this your first time kind of dabbling in that? Yeah, I think that is my first time. I've Performing-wise, other than drag, I had really only focused on doing music when I was younger. I'd never even thought about the opportunities of doing things with spoken word or storytelling events. And I really enjoyed doing Queer Mountain the two times that I've done it so far. Because you told two very personal, very serious stories. Pretty amazing that that was your, your first time and second time, I guess. When I had gotten the topics for both of those, I, I knew that a lot of the other people that I was going to be up there with were going to do something funny. And at first I felt like damn, I can't think of any funny stories. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be vulnerable. And I feel like that's what we need in general in the world right now is to for people to be open and honest and heartfelt, you know, and share things. Sharing things like that, I feel like, brings everybody a sense of community and feeling like it's okay to feel these things and to have gone through similar things because you're not alone yeah, yeah absolutely because your, your first story was about sobriety which i would like to ask you about and then your second story was about being the child of divorce essentially and you know the kind of the effects on that and i think both of those are highly relatable but it was also like you said just you were vulnerable on stage and that was genuinely from your heart and genuinely your truth and i think that shows and it's so cool like i said i do want to talk about sobriety because I know for me as a performer that mostly performs at bars, even on nights when I'm like, I'm not going to drink tonight, it can be very difficult. I am drinking more now that I'm performing more. And I see I see that. And I know a lot of performers who have gotten sober for whatever reasons they have health or mental health or just whatever's going on. So how was that process for you? And how is it still being in this environment? Because it's hard to separate that environment because that's where you're going to perform absolutely and so if you want to perform you're going to end up in situations where there is alcohol yeah it was definitely a challenge at first because like you said it's you're around it all the time i have been sober for eight months now almost and my full-time job i'm a health coach and a personal trainer and i've always been really into like working out and being healthy, but I was also, before I got sober, 
had been in the service industry for a really long time and performing. So I was a bartender and always around alcohol and it got a little out of hand. I had a lot of things I was dealing with emotionally and it was just something that I would turn to because I didn't want to think or feel anything. And I, at just one point, I like, there'd been many times where I was telling myself like, this doesn't really line up with what you want to be doing as a career and what your like focus is on. And I would kind of ignore that and just keep going about my day and or nights. And, and then at one point it just kind of hit me. It was like, you know, you're just doing this counterintuitive activity all the time. If you want to be this healthy person and, I also feel like my focus was so much on the physical health, like with working out and eating well, that I didn't even realize that mental health is completely tied into that and that I wasn't, I was ignoring my mental health because I just was trying to numb it by drinking. And once I stopped, I actually think around that time, it was about a month or two before I started hosting Sideshow and producing Sideshow. And... In that time until I started the show, I didn't really perform at all. So I kind of gave myself that distance from being in the bar space. And that first night that I did that, did, hosted that show, I was one nervous because it was my first time ever producing and hosting. But yeah. I was also nervous because it was my first time being in that environment again and not drinking. And it's gotten much easier as it's gone along, but there will be times where I'll have really hard days and I'll be going to do a show or I'll know I'll be meeting up with people in an environment like that. And I'll just have to like kind of step aside and remind myself that I don't need to do that. Yeah. Congratulations on eight months. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's been a lot easier with, within our community than I thought it would be because a lot of people, once they heard me talk at Queer Mountain or just knew that I don't drink, they've been pretty supportive. Um, I used to, before being really involved in the drag community here and when I was bartending, I used to be so connected and hanging out with bartenders all the time. And I'm glad that I was out of that environment when I decided to stop drinking because that would have been much more challenging, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that's who's got on the same schedule as you. And that's what do you do? You get off at the bar and you go to the... Another bar. Another bar. <laughs> and you have service industry nights in night. That absolutely. Everyone hooks you guys up with whatever. I mean, I, I understand it all. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Not too, not too much, huh? <laughs> no, not at all. Not too hard-hitting questions. <laughs> <laughs> Just a lot of multi-part questions. <laughs> I mean, those are the best. You yeah. Know? Gives you a lot to go on. Good luck on the tr- your travels. I'm sure we're going to see it all over social media. All right, thank you, Jess. Thank you. Thank you to Jess for sharing her world with us. Special thank you to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the podcast. I do want to say, because by the time this podcast came out, the Boys Want to Be Here show that we talked about happened. And it was packed and it was amazing. And I just want to say that everyone did a fantastic job on that. And it was really good to see that show be a success. And it was interesting to hear us talk about, you know, that concept on this podcast before it actually happened. And then just to see how great it went. So, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you to everybody. You can catch Greetings from Queer Mountain live queer storytelling show in New York 
Austin, New Orleans, and now in the Bay Area. Check us out on Facebook for more information. Thank y'all. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.